You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. Go in your Bibles now to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And even in these conditions here, we're going to talk about love and growth for a few moments. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, we're starting here. A new book in the Bible. I'm just going to continue on. It's a relatively short book, and we're going to continue on here uh, in our study. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church, and circle the word church because I want to talk about church for a few moments, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So pray with me, church. Now, God, we pray that you would enter into our assembly, sacred in your name, God. That you'd, you'd be blessed, Jesus, by all that we say and do in these moments. Father, we come here and we, we need to change. We need to grow. If you need to change and grow, just raise your hand right now. So, God, for all of us here, would raise our hands and say we need to change and grow. God, we fall down before you. You are the lover of our souls. You are the savior of our souls. You are the one who wants to teach us about love and growth. And so come now, Jesus, we pray, and do all of that which you have ordained. We pray now in Jesus' name. Say amen with me. Amen. The very beginning of first, Second Thessalonians, excuse me, verse 1 here, is a very common salutation in ancient times. This is who I am, Paul. This is who's with me, Silvanus and Silas uh, in, in another book, or Timothy. And then this is, this is this sacred greeting that I have for you, which is just so beautiful and sweet, these sweet words and ways of talking about God. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica, that's ancient Greece at that time, and he's talking about God. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's seeking to tell them, I'm writing these things to you so that you would be blessed of God, so that you would know the truth of God. That's why I'm writing this to you. And in this introduction, he talks about church, and he talks about it in a few moments in the next verse, growing. And so I want to talk about, I want to talk about church. I want to talk about growing. First thoughts related to church. So Related as way of a contrast, uh, I, I, I have this, I, I'm not on social media much, to be honest with you. Uh, I have my little happy Jesus thought that I'll post and then I'm off. And, and, and so, so I want to be encouraging on social media, but I am a little weird in that on Instagram, I have one, one thing that I love to follow famously, and I've shared this with you guys on occasion, it's called Nature is Metal. Now, if you want to go to Nature's Metal on Instagram, you got to have a real stomach because what it is, it's conservationists who put little cameras in the wild, and they're just there for weeks on end because they want to watch animals eating other animals. So, they, so it's all about the predator in the animal kingdom, you know, the sort of the survivor or not. And so usually when you click on Nature's Metal, it'll, it'll have, a, have, a, have a flash. It'll say, do you really want to watch another animal in the wild, eating another animal. And then you click on it if you're weird like your pastor, you go, yes. <laughs> and then there's another screen that comes up and it says basically, what is wrong with you? 
<laughs> but if you really want to watch this, you can click it one more time. And generally, that's what it is. Lions and tigers and bears that are, that are operating in the wild, and they've trapped some other animal, and now they're going to attack and eat it, and they're going to devour it. And so, so let's stay with that word devour for a moment. Remember, I've told you about nature and metal and how it works. And there's these animals in the wild, and they're killing other animals, and they're devouring them. All right, I just start talking about love and growth. And we just read these beautiful verses. So why are we talking about this? Because I want to camp for a few moments on church because unfortunately the devil has lied to everyone, lied to everyone outside the church, sometimes people even in the church, to make them think that what it means to be part of a church is to be part of a group of people who are actually going to devour one another. That when we get involved in each other's lives, that somehow we're going to devour one another. We're going to eat our own and all of that. And the world has certainly judged the church a certain way and, and, and created this lie out there. And I'm here to tell you and to labor in the gospel to tell you what a privilege and honor it is to be part of the church. What a privilege and honor it is to attend church. Even now, weather conditions aren't favorable, but it's a privilege to be here. And it's a privilege to be in a relationship with all of you. It's a privilege to have friends like all of you. And, and wherever you're at, whether you're visiting today or you've been around for a while or you're seeking maybe to get involved, whatever the case is, church is a glory. It's a privilege. We love you here. Like we love the Lord and we love you. And really what we're asking as we have a body, as we go through our life together, is will you receive our love that we have one for another and one for Christ? And do you want to be a part of that? And it has certain meaning. And so there's, there's, there's like lies in culture outside. And I'm just going to leave it there. That want, wants people to think that somehow in the church that it's, that it's that. It's somehow a group of people that will devour one another. Now listen, this is actually... This has actually kind of been true, this criticism from the very beginning, because we have something called the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is where we, we, we it can be done a bunch of different ways, but in the ancient times, for sure, uh, very much a, a potluck, festive kind of party. And then they would stop somewhere in there, and then they would have some sacred elements like a bread and a cup, and they would actually have Holy Communion. And that's what Holy Communion would be. There'd be like a potluck party, and then they would, they would stop, and we'd have the bread in the cup, sometimes distributed personally, sometimes in lines where people would come. It didn't matter. And then they would take of communion. And so outside of the church, people thought that they were eating, you know, and, and, and drinking like a human body. And so they actually criticized Christians thinking that, well, you come together, aren't you involved in cannibalism? This is actually really true. And Christians were like, are you kidding me? What are you talking about? Like we are coming together to celebrate the blood, the life, the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing. And so come into our assembly and you'll see that it's very different. So that criticism about what goes on in church has actually been around for a long time. But I stand right now with our culture. Our culture is, is so, so nasty. And Christ has called us to be so loving. And so if you want one idea of what to do, go see the movie, The Jesus Revolution, which is actually part of the you know, oddly enough, this is really fun, really fun to brag about. The Jesus Revolution, which is not getting any press uh, outside in the mainstream, is actually the best-selling movie 
in the last like two months. It's, uh, it's way beyond like 45, 50 million right now. And it has tripled any movie that has come out, but you're not hearing about it. Uh, but I'm telling you that movie is an incredible display of church life and of love and life inside of church. And so you'll be blessed as you, as you participate in that. Church has certain things that are true about it. And one of the things that's true about church is how we respond uh, one to another. And so I'm actually just going to go through a very quick, like one, two, three, related to how we respond to one another at church. And this is all related to the first verse that we read where Paul is writing to this church uh, in Thessalonica, and he's complimenting them as we'll get to in a moment. Okay, so first, just by way of reference, is John chapter 13, verse 35, where the first thing Jesus wants us in terms of church to, to grow is to actually love one another. So you've heard this before, but I want you to go a little farther with that. Christ actually wants us inside the family of God for this to be a place where we actually really, really love one another. Now, I don't know if you've ever really tried to love somebody before. Show of hands, right? <laughs> it's not easy, is it? Because you are you. All right, we don't really say that to ourselves much, but you are you. All right, so Pastor Rick Soto has his issues. Guess who else has their issues? You have your issues. Right? And so you get offended a certain way. It's different than how I get offended, right? And you don't like getting offended. I don't like getting offended. All right, so then we get offended and what has to happen? Okay, so then we have to go to the cross, right? So I know that. I know that feeling. It's like, okay, I got my feelings hurt or whatever the case is. And so now, now I have to go to the cross, right? Now I have to go and meditate and pray and read scriptures. And oftentimes in that place, the Lord's going to tell me about what I need to do to be part of helping love that person. So initially I want to go, Lord, I just want to forgive that person. No, I want you to go love that person. No, 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 no. I don't want to talk to the Father right now. I want to talk to the Son, right? Now I want to go, okay, Jesus, can I talk to you, you know? And I, no, I don't, I don't, I, I have to, I have to, okay, I have to go love that person. That's all of our wrestlings. That's all of our wrestlings. Here's a little mini marriage conference, right, about loving one another, all right? Little mini marriage conference, all right? So if you're single, listen up. This applies to you. <laughs> applies very much to you. And if you're married, you're going to go, oh, yeah, he's right. Okay, so if you're relatively young and you want to get married, here's what you're doing. You're looking at that person. You never say this ahead of time, but you're looking at that other person and saying, you're a train wreck. <laughs> so am I. We've just deceived ourselves that we have these warm, fuzzy feelings right now. But you're a train wreck, and so am I. And so what I'm saying before God is for the next 50 years, every day of my life, I'm going to love you even though you're a train wreck. <laughs> now, we don't say this, you know, when I bring people together, we don't exactly say that at the altar, now, do we? Yeah. I take you to be my wedded husband, right? having to hold. No, we don't say that, but that's what's going on. Okay, stick with that, because I'm talking about the beauty of church and Christ's promise of loving one another. Why is that important? Why would I say it that way? Because it's true. Because the way that you're ultimately going to grow in a marriage, which Christ uses in the book of Ephesians as an illustration for the church and for salvation, is very much the same way you're going to grow in church. 
because the issue of, of understanding that person is actually human, frail, all of that has their sin issues, their sin issues which need to go to the cross, they have a certain kind of social background. All of that is to understand that when I come together and I say, I will love you or find a way to love you no matter what, and I will stick with you through 50 years of all of this, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it because I'm gonna do it. I'm not depending upon you before God, I'm depending upon me before God, and so now I'm gonna have that relationship with you is that at that point we begin to develop trust. And trust is required in relationships for this reason, which I'll have two more bullet points under church, but it's for this reason to start. You struggle to receive truth if there's not trust. You just do. I do, you do. And church needs to have trust. Church really needs to have trust. We need to build trust in the relationship. What you're going to hear in culture, which is a half-truth and not really thought out biblically, is the word acceptance. You know, I want you to accept me. And that's what you feel emotionally. But acceptance is a subset, spiritually, of trust. It comes after the fact. You build trust. You have that foundation there. You begin to experience these feelings of acceptance. And Christ said, you are to love one another. Secondly, Christ said related to the church that we're to actually receive one another. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 10, that we're actually to receive one another. And so this is actually a little bit related to hospitality. It's related to stopping and being present with somebody. It's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of this, receiving one another isn't, isn't, you know, like I see this all the time, and I'm guilty of this, I really apologize, but it's like, oh, oh yeah, okay, so, uh-huh, yeah, 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 I'm with you, I'm with you. Okay, I got you. I, what's your name? Okay, I got you. I got you. I got, I got you. Could you just beam it into my phone right here? Okay, but don't ever call me. Thank you. And, all right. So, so that's not receive one another. So I'm not going to do this. And, you know, and I thought about picking on Sophia for a moment. But you know, having somebody here and grabbing them sort of in a sense by the shoulders and you're looking them in the eye and the phone's off and you're like, how are you doing? And it is not... It is not to solve their problems. It is actually to just validate that you're in their presence, right? That you're there, that you're there. And I'm going to be real with you in these moments, okay? And I'm going to be hospitable to you for the love of Christ because Christ has stopped to save and care for me. And I want to be some sort of manifestation in this moment of caring for you inside the church. Outside the church, the same principles work the same and slightly different inside the church, inside the gathering. And so we are told to receive one another. This is really fascinating, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And then I'm going to move a little quick here. We're told to be kind to one another. All right, think about it, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. We're told to be kind to one another. Now, that is really fascinating because I just told you that Jesus commanded that we would love one another, right? Amen. So then why do we need to be told to be kind to one another? Because we're not kind to one another. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that next level thinking where Christ says, I'm going to model it. I'm going to live it. I'm going to display it. I'm going to tell you about it. I want you to be deceived at all. That when you say the word love, that it's so like idealistic that you miss it. No, that means that you're going to be kind 
to that person. Right? So these are, this is what it means to be like inside the church, to be kind to one another, to actually think about people who are frail and fallen, perhaps giving you offense, and to work through all of that so that you can actually be kind to one another. Do not think that truth is absent there. Truth is at the center of that. But we must be kind, and we're called to that. Paul will compliment the church here in in Thessalonica, excuse me, as he says this. He'll say to them now in the next few verses, he'll say in verse 3, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. So underline the word growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So he's actually telling them that the very things that Christ wants, you are actually doing and living out. Verse 4, excuse me, chapter 1. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. What's fascinating about this is that what's happened to the church at Thessalonica is that they have actually actually endured many, many difficulties and persecutions for following Jesus Christ. It's not been, in other words, it's not been easy for them. They've had difficulties. They've had social difficulties. They've been rejected. And yet in the middle of that, the churches continue to come together to love one another and to find the resources spiritually to love people on the outside. And Paul says they're growing and growing abundantly. And so I want to talk about growing for a few moments. Talk about growing. Okay, so here's how you're going to grow. And this is not an exhaustive list. It's a really long list. And it will be repeated in the book of Thessalonians, but here's how you're going to grow. Okay, first principle of growth is when you heard enough, right? So sometimes you hear people in the natural talk about this, but it's true in the supernatural, and that's why it's true in the natural. When you heard enough, when you heard enough, John chapter 16, verse 33, when you heard enough, what happens? When you heard enough, what, here's what's going to happen. You're actually going to be hurting and in pain, and you're also going to want Christ's victory, so when you're hurting enough, so when you say, okay, Jesus, I'm done with myself. Can you be victorious in this place? That's when you're going to begin to see a change. And so sometimes God sovereignly allows pain to come into your life so that it will act, as C.S. Lewis famously said, as a megaphone, right? So that it will actually amplify in your mind, amplify in your heart, so that you will actually understand certain things. And one of them is that you can't do it. Christ can Christ will say in John chapter 16, verse 33, you will have tribulation in this world, but take heart, I've actually overcome the world. So most of us have heard things like that. I love the second way in which we'll grow that Paul definitely outlines in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, where he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Second way we grow is we feel empowered to do it. So actually, what's fascinating is our The gospel is not like cognitive. It's not like a mind religion in that sense. It's actually global. It's total. It's the whole person. And so you actually have feelings. Your feelings can be heard. Your feelings can be excited. You have positive feelings, negative feelings. You have feelings. Your feelings are actually very important. They're very important to God. And part of you growing as a human being in Christ is actually your feelings. And so you're actually going to begin to ultimately feel empowered to do it. 
So whatever it is, so you're going to be hurting and something might be happening, but you actually begin to feel because you've walked with God enough, like God can actually through you do it. And that's where that verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 is. And so you can actually begin to feel like it. So you're going to go to the job interview and you're going to feel like, well, I have never got a job and uh, I've never been good at this. I've never made a good presentation. Okay, Lord, I'm going to, and, and that feeling will come upon you by the Holy Spirit to give you confidence to actually go to that job interview. You're going to be in a conflict with a family member. You're going to feel like we've never done this very well. We've never done this very well. We end up throwing things at one another or nobody shows up. And that feeling for the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And now you're going to be in that place of greater strength. And you're actually going to operate exactly as God wants you to. It's a feeling. Not just a feeling, but it is that. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. This is how we change and we grow. And Paul is complimenting this church for very much being like that. We also learn. We learn from Christ deeply. So this is how we change. So sometimes you're going to change. So this is what people get stuck in. This is why I'm going through a very quick outline. You'll hear some false teaching where people think you only grow through pain. Thank God there's more ways to grow than that, right? Good time to say amen, right? So, so nice, nice of us that we don't, it's not just about pain. But if there is pain, we can grow from there. Then there's also the fact that our feelings are kind of complicated, but we can actually, God has given us the Holy Spirit to feel, to feel Him, to feel the power of the resurrection. So our feelings can actually line up very well. And then third here, we can actually learn, and we can learn from Christ deeply. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 says that we should actually teach the disciples to obey God. And so we're actually going to learn learn how to actually follow Jesus Christ, which means you're going to go through a Bible study. You're going to meticulously go through things. Uh, we go at the school of ministry on Thursday nights, and we'll take a topic, and we will break that topic down into some details so that our people can mature, so that we can mature together. Lastly, right here and quickly, uh, is fourth, we, we actually change and grow when we receive grace. And when we receive grace, then you feel able to. And so grace means that you don't deserve it, but God will give it. And that's just the way it is. And so praise the Lord for grace. Praise the Lord that grace will come upon you to grow. And sometimes you think, wow, what just happened? I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I, I was, you know, what just happened here? And God gave it. Amen. Just enjoy it. Just be changed by it. Just be transformed by it. Just soak in it. Give God praise and glory for it. Be excited for it because there's grace. And sometimes it's just waves and waves of baptism of his grace which give you the ability to actually enjoy it. I think about, I think about famously Luke chapter 19, which is Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, you know, we sing the song, We Little Man in the Tree, you know. And so here is this man who's, who's tremendously selfish, tremendously arrogant, and yet God is going to save him. And he's going to come to him and say, I'm going to stay at your house today. And it's just tremendous grace, grace upon grace to him. I think about the woman caught in adultery as famously taught in John chapter 8. And he comes and he rebukes all the people that are against her. But he picks her up and says, where are your accusers? Oh, they've all gone. Uh, they've left. Well, so is your sin. Go and sin no more. So we have to... We have to receive grace. So lastly, as we wind this teaching down, you guys are doing great, especially in this environment, and you can hear the tent totally creaking. 
I think about this word, and I, I think about how Paul is, is talking about growing. And let me, just, let me just run for home this way. It's online, it's, and I've, I've stolen it several times. I really have. But it's Alistair Begg's Man in the Middle. And Alistair Begg, Scottish brother, just, you know, this accent and everything about it. It's his, actually his Good Friday service, as I understand it, just a couple of years ago. And, and so what he's going to play with in this illustration, which plays into the church at Thessalonica growing, both how we grow as Christians and how the church grows. And it's why I want to camp here for just a few moments. Because the thief on the cross is just one of those tremendous, tremendous, like it just blows all the circuitries in you. Because you got to remember that the thief on the cross is a thief. Everybody say yes. He's a thief. And he has been part of a group that's actually mocking Jesus. Jesus is on the cross. He doesn't deserve to be on the cross. But he's on the cross for your sin, for my sin, and the sins of the world. But he doesn't deserve to be on the cross. Guy on one side is mocking him along with everybody else that's mocking him. And then there's another thief there that seemingly has been mocking him for a few moments. But then, but then somewhere he begins to get a conscience and he begins to look out and realize, I deserve this. I'm the thief. This man's done nothing wrong. So he actually talks to the other guy on the other side of Jesus. Remember, we got three people hanging here. And he says, why are you making fun of this guy? He's done nothing wrong. We deserve it. We all deserve it. This man is innocent. And so he turns to Jesus and he says these famous words. Jesus, will you remember me? Will you remember me, right? I'm sure if I ask for a show of hands, hey, show me a show of hands if, God, if you ever felt like God has forgotten you, right? Most of us would at some point say, I feel like God has either forgotten me, maybe now or later. And so here is this man, totally deserving. He's a thief. He's a bad person, not a good human. It's all on him. And he's looking at Jesus because this man is totally innocent. And so will you remember me? And so Jesus, who has, by the way, been filleted physically, he is suffering deeply. And he turns to this man and he says, today I assure you you'll be with me in paradise. Right? So now, so now Alistair Begg, in his illustration of the man in the middle, he's saying, okay, well, what is this thief on the cross when he's in heaven? What's he going to say? Right? Because we've got angels in heaven, we've got saints in heaven, and we're going to say, how did you get here? In other words, Jesus is dead, and then this man dies, zapping his way into heaven, and then over the whole angelic host is saying, wait, wait, how did you get here? And, and they're going to try and ask him questions, right? And so, so they're going to ask him, well, well, did you attend the ranch church? Oh, man, I can't believe they're letting people here for, without the ranch church. Do you know about justification by faith? That's an important doctrine. We like to study that. You don't know anything about that? Well, what about the Ten Commandments? Which of the Ten Commandments have you obeyed? I've broken all of them, I think. Oh, heaven is going to hell around here. What's going on with this? And, you know, and so, and so they're, just, they're just trying to figure out, what does this guy know? He knows nothing except the fact that he was next to Christ, and he looked Christ in the face, and Christ looked him in the face, more importantly, and he said, do you want to be with me? Then I commanded that you were allowed now to be freed of all the bondages of your life and for you to come out and be with me. Amen. Nothing else matters. And that is Christ. 
And so, and so, and so in the illustration of Alistair Begg, they're asking him and they're asking him. He says, I don't know anything. I don't know justification by faith. I don't know the laws of Moses. I don't know anything except the man in the middle said, I could come. And so I came. He's the only reason why I'm here. And let that be to you, that personal testimony. That the only reason why we're talking about the church of Thessalonica is because of the man in the middle. And the only reason why we can talk about growing and that the church it needs to be loving, the church needs to be supernaturally loving, that we need to grow in our love for the church, that we need to grow in our love for people in the church, that we need to grow in our love for the mission of Christ inside the church is because of the man in the middle. And the whole reason why we can talk about personal transformation and leaving behind guilt and shame and bad attitudes and stinking thinking and the flesh and our carnality and our impurities is because of the man in the middle. And the only reason we talk about receiving grace and waves and waves of grace is because of the man in the middle. And the only reason why we get heaven is because of the man in the middle. The only reason we are here is because that man in the middle died, resurrected on the third day, just as he said, and he has ascended to heaven, and he's the true king of the universe. That's the only reason. It's the only reason why to come and sit underneath the tent and the wind blowing and to proclaim Christ as God receive him into ourselves. So church, pray with me now. Let me bring our prayer team, just excuse yourselves and come up here. So Father God, we pray now that you would enter into our lives. Father, thank you for grace and mercy that is just so supernatural. Thank you for grace and mercy which comes upon us. Jesus, you have been not just that man in the middle, but you are God in the middle. And church, I just want you to enjoy a meditation with me because that, that mental thought, not just the man in the middle, but the God in the middle, I believe is where you are at to place God in the middle of your life. And so, Father, I pray now that that would just take place. I believe some of you are hungry to grow. I believe some of you are hungry and hungry to grow today. You really are. And so if that is you, this message has been all about, I want to ask you right now to take a bold step of growth and to excuse yourself and to come forward and let us pray for you. Let us lay hands on you that you would grow dynamically. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.